Bible this morning to the book of Ezra, chapter number 10. And I want you to stand with me, if you would, please, for the reading of the word of the Lord. Ezra, chapter 10. We're going to read down to verse 12, and uh, I'm going to ask you to help me read the odd verses this morning. I'll read the even verses uh, by myself. Ezra 10, beginning in verse number 1. Now when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children. For the people wept very sore. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God, and have taken strange wives the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives, and such is born of them, according to the counsel of my Lord, and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage, and do it. Then arose Ezra, and made the chief priests, the Levites, and all Israel, to swear that they should do according to this word, and they swear. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God, and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Eliashib. And when he came thither, he did eat no bread, nor drink water. For he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. And they made proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem unto all the children of that they should gather themselves together unto Jerusalem. And that whosoever would not come within three days, according to the counsel of the princes and the elders... All his substance should be forfeited, and himself separated from the congregation of those that had been carried away. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered themselves together into Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth day of the month. And all the people sat in the street of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and for the great rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said unto them, Ye have transgressed, and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now, therefore, make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers, and do his pleasure, and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you have... You've witnessed us reading corporately the Word of God this morning. And this, Lord, is where you've led me to our text today. And I'm praying, Father, that you allow me and help me to preach with the power of the Holy Spirit this morning your Word. May it accomplish in each of us today that is needed and that is profitable. And Lord, I'm asking you today... Lord, to hide me behind the cross. I pray, Father, that we're able to see you and recognize you and that our greatest desire 
is to make much of Jesus and our relationship with God our Father. We ask your blessing this morning in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want you to go back to verse number 2. And I want you to see in the middle of the verse what Shechaniah said unto Ezra. He said these words. He says, we have trespassed against our God. And the, the cause of their trespass, he mentions there, that they have taken strange wives, the people of the land. But notice what he says as he concludes. He says, yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. And so the, that's where I get the theme of our message this morning, a hope for revival. <clears throat> now Ezra chapter 10 is, it's a unique passage. And you wouldn't think in, in a lot of ways, how, how does that apply to us? How does that apply to me as an individual? Well, years ago, I think Garrett was in his first year of life. Now he's 17. And it was a time in my life where God was doing a, a great work. And he was really stirring my heart. And I remember our pastor was preaching an, a message out of Ezra. And I can't really tell you what his message was and everything that he preached. But he did highlight something in verses 10 and 11 that got my attention. Let's read those words again, if you would, please. Okay? Ezra, the priest, stood up and said unto them, he's, he's delivering a message that he has prayed over, he has spent time fasting, and now he's delivering the word of God. And this is his message. Ye have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now therefore make confession of the Lord God of your fathers, and do his pleasure, and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. God grabbed my heart with those words. And it wasn't because I had married a strange wife. Immediately, we were sitting on the first row, and God did something in my heart right then. My pastor had just mentioned that was his message. That was the length of his message. How long was his message? 43 words. And that was it. He was done. And notice the response of the congregation in verse 12. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. Wow. What preacher would not want to get that kind of response from his congregation? And it wasn't a congregation the size of ours. It was all the people who had gathered together that day Standing in the rain. Do you get that? They were standing in the rain. They were trembling for two reasons. One, because of their sin. And the other, because they were standing in the rain. The time of year it was, it's the, it's the rainy season, and it's around December. 
the cold time part of the year, in the rain, trembling, waiting for the preacher to stand up and deliver, and being led of the Spirit of God, he didn't preach a long message. 43 words. Takes about 15 seconds to preach it. And the congregation was so moved, they said, so must we do. I didn't wait till the invitation. I got up from my seat on the front row, and the message was not even halfway through. But I came to the altar, and I began to pray. I said, Lord, what kind of power did Ezra have to preach a 43-word sermon so that a nation of people would respond, as you have said, so must we do. I didn't get the answer immediately. I got up and I went back to my seat. And the Lord had grabbed my heart. And when the service was over, we went, we went back to our home. And I went upstairs, and I opened my Bible, and I began to look in the previous chapters what led up to this particular sermon and response. And I said, God, as a preacher, I want to know what was it about Ezra that you used in such a mighty way? Ezra, we are introduced to in chapter 7. Let me give you a little bit of history here. In chapters 1 through 6, the writer is telling the history of Israel returning out of the captivity of Babylon to Jerusalem. They get there, and of course the temple, Solomon's temple, is no more. And they get there, and one of the first things they want to do is build the temple. The first thing they did, as we looked on Wednesday night, is they built the altar. Because everything begins at the altar. If you don't get anything, if you don't get that, you're going to miss the rest of the message. Everything spiritually begins at the altar. Before they built the temple, before they built the place of worship, they had to build the altar because that is where they presented themselves to the Lord. They offered their sacrifice as a confession of their sin, and it was a, t it was a place where they praised and worshipped their God. That is what we do, whether it's in our prayer closet, kneeling beside our bed. Everything begins at the altar that we build where we are confessing our sins, presenting ourselves to the Lord, and worshiping Him in a spirit and a time of prayer. That is where everything begins. They begin to build the altar, they begin to build the temple, and there were adversaries. And there are always going to be adversaries with the work of God. And adversaries had come in and they had put a stop to the work of God. 
And that went on for a number of years. And then you get to the prophets of Haggai and Zechariah. And those prophets came and they preached. And so the work of the temple began again and it was built. And there's a period between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7 that lasts about 60 years. In those 60 years is where you get the book of Esther. You read the book of Esther between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7. And then you get to chapter 7, and Ezra himself shows up. We're introduced to him as a ready scribe in the law of Moses in Ezra 7 and verse 6. He was one as a ready scribe. The word of God was precious to him and important to him. He was of the lineage of Aaron, the chief priest, Moses' brother. We find that in Ezra 7 and verse 5. And according to the hand of the Lord that was upon him, he was granted request from King Artaxerxes to return to Jerusalem from Babylon. And so he led the second return out of Babylon into, into which is now the Persian Empire. He leads the Israelites out of captivity back to Jerusalem. And in Ezra 7 and verse 10, the Bible says that Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the word of God to obey it, and to teach it. So that's his preparation. He had already determined, before God ever did a big work in him, Ronnie, he had determined in his heart to seek the law of the Lord. The word of God was important to him. Before, he, before God sent him out and was going to do a great work in him, the word of God is important, it's precious. And it's the same, you'll find it the same way, Gary, in any person that God has used throughout the years. The Word of God is highly valuable. It is precious. And you determine to seek out what God wants from you. And then secondly, when you find that out, Chris, you have to be determined to obey it. It's not enough to read the Word of God and say, okay, I read the Bible through the last year, but I didn't get a thing from it. You have to be determined. God, show me something from the Word of God and then give me a desire to obey it. Whatever it is, whatever you reveal in my life that is wrong, whatever it is, let me obey it. And then the third thing was, and let me teach it to somebody else. I don't want to just keep it. I want to learn it. I want to obey it. And I want to have a desire to teach it to someone else. Ezra was also a man of faith and a man of prayer in chapter 8, and verses 21 and through 23, excuse me. During that time, he's leading, and, and the king has given him a number of things to bring to the temple. And along that journey, was going to be, it was a dangerous journey. And they were at a place where they were at a dangerous crossroads. And the obvious thing would is, is to say, well, let's go back, let's send to the king and let's get protection. Let's have some protection as we, as we go on this journey. But Ezra said, you know, I, I can't ask the king for protection because I had already told him that God was going to be with us and that God was going to lead us. And I can't go back on that now and, and, and not trust God 
We're going to trust the Lord. And so he asked the people to fast and to pray. And that's what they did. And safely they made it to Jerusalem. Now after a little time there, you get to chapter number 9. And quickly, I want you to read through the scriptures with me. And I want to highlight some things that I pray will be a help to us. This is what the Lord showed me. In Ezra chapter 9, we see a biblical comprehension of right and wrong. There is a... uh, Sometimes there's a... It can be comical if, you're, if you'll take it not so serious. But in the ministry, you wonder, what problem am I going to have to deal with today? Because it seems like every day there's something different. There's a phone call, there's a text, there's an issue, something breaks, something. And you... You, have to, you, you cannot be so serious. You have to just trust the Lord and say, oh, well, I wonder what it's going to be today. And you just deal with it. And it's a wonderful thing to do. But some, some days are more difficult than others. You get to chapter 9, Ezra's in Jerusalem. It's an exciting time. They've made it. And Ezra's presented with a problem. Read with me verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9. Now when these things were done, the prince came to, came to me saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. Now, if you recognize those names, those are the people that Joshua was supposed to get rid of when they entered Canaan's land. In verse 2, for the, they go on to say, For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. Now here's the situation. You can read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, you can also read in Exodus chapter 34, where Moses delivered the word of God. And God's word was that Israel was not to mix with the nations who stood in, in open opposition to their God. They were not supposed to have relationships. They certainly were not supposed to marry. And that was delivered. If you remember, years before the captivity really what began the journey to it was King Solomon. And the Lord said, Solomon, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you years of peace. I'm going to bless your ministry as long as you follow me. 
And Solomon did at the beginning, but over time, his heart began to be turned toward, toward the women he was not supposed to have a relationship with, and they were numerous. And their heart, their, their worship, their God turned Solomon's heart, despite all of his wisdom. In despite of his knowledge of God, it turned his heart away from God. And the result was the split kingdom. And eventually, the tribe of Israel getting taken off by the Assyrians and the tribe of Judah going into Babylonian captivity. This was the word of God. It was specific for the people of Israel. And let me get you this. This was written down because even when we get to Joshua, Joshua stands before the people and he reads the word of God that Moses had delivered. Moses was given the word of God. Joshua was not only given the word of God from the Lord, but he also had it to read, to understand. So this was something scripturally that they had been taught for generation after generation but now they have gotten back from their captivity and they disregard the word of God. It's not that important. Now consider this for a moment. Theirs is a generation that for 70 years has been in, in captivity in a culture that was not of God. It was a godless culture. It was a culture that would have been that, that had their own gods and their own worship. You'll remember in Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar built this giant image of himself and everyone had to bow down that image except, except uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. They had their own form of worship. Daniel had purpose in his heart not to defile himself before the Lord. For 70 years they had experienced that, they had lived in that culture. And the result of that is that culture begins to influence you. You know the Bible, you were raised with the Word of God. You know what the Scriptures say. But you live in a culture where things are okay. And sin is applauded. And what you knew when you were young that that was wrong, you kind of get used to it. And even when you get out of captivity, it's hard to let some of those things go. He mentions later in this chapter, we'll read it in a minute in verses 10 through 12. Their blatant disobedience to the word of God. You see Ezra's reaction in verses 3 and 4. Read it with me. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astonied. At the end of verse 4, you'll see he sat astonied until the evening sacrifice. What does that mean? He was stunned. Stunned. He had just left captivity. He had just gotten there. Praise the Lord, I'm out of Babylon. I am with God's people. I am, in, I am in Jerusalem. I am in the house of God. And the first thing he is told is, the people 
have disobeyed the word of God and have done exactly what God told them not to do. And Ezra was just stunned. You think you've seen it all, Gary. And then suddenly, here's another story. I didn't see that one coming. Can I give you this? The priests were a part of it. The Levites were a part of it. The spiritual leaders were a part of that sin. And certainly if the spiritual leaders are going that way, you can imagine how the congregation will go that way. He sat there stunned. Can I say this? We need people who are stunned by sin and not accepted. When Garrett was, when the boys were little, I'm going to use Garrett as an illustration here. He, he doesn't, he, he wouldn't even remember this, I'm sure. When the boys were little, we were, I'm not going to say we were poor, but we didn't have much, okay? And, and it was something, um, it was something when you have four little ones in the house and uh, one income and we had no complaints. We loved every part of it. But you cut out a lot of stuff, so we didn't have, t- we didn't have TV. And so their first few years, they didn't, they didn't get a whole lot of TV at the house. And I remember one day, he's probably two or three years old at this He, he had to be about at least three. We were watching a Western. And... Uh, I remember Garrett sitting there, and suddenly a cowboy put out a gun. And he shot the bad guy. It freaked him out. He panicked because he thought the guy got killed. He didn't understand TV world and real world. It stunned him. I think about that story when I read this passage. We've lost our innocence. And what should stun us, we just overlook and, ah, that's just the way it is. It may be the way it is, but is that the way it's supposed to be? And it may be the way it is out there, but is it supposed to be like that in my life? Are you with me? He sat as stony. Now, look in verse number 4. There were some people who joined him. You'll see that those people had, a, had something in common. They trembled at the word of God. They valued the word of God. And so they came along Ezra. Not everybody did. Not everyone came alongside of them, but some people did. And they joined him. They were concerned. Their hearts were heavy. Can I say this? Everybody doesn't have to get right to have revival. It began with one. 
And then a few others joined him. And then they do something specific that we see God do what only God can do. Now, what did they do? Well, there's a prayerful consideration of our spiritual condition. Let's read a little bit, beginning in verse 5. And at the evening sacrifice, I arose up from my heaviness. And having rent my garment in my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. Let me demonstrate it. This is the position that he is in when he begins to pray his prayer. Watch his prayer in verse 6, beginning in verse 6. And said, O my God. Do you realize that most of our prayer life is spent, begins with woe is me? That's how most of it begins because our prayer life is consumed with ourself and what we need. Ezra approaches the throne, says, oh my God, I am ashamed. I'm ashamed and blush to lift my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities, can you underline that word there? Our iniquities? And pay attention to that pronoun. Our iniquities are increased over our head. And our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day. And for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face as it is this day. And now, for a little space, key verses here, despite our sins, our transgressions, this is his heart in his prayer. He's not saying, all the people, America has gone to hell. The people are wicked. He's saying, our sins... Because if we're really honest, Sam, we're all a little bit guilty. And he is guilty in one point, is guilty of all. And it's not just the people. I have a little part in that. Because maybe I'm not living my Christian life as I should. And maybe I'm not the witness and the influence that I should be. I have a part of that. And secretly and privately, perhaps there's something in my life that I certainly don't want to be known publicly. And so Ezra says, our trespasses as God is here. Hands lifted up to God on his knees. We're a part of this. We're a part of this nation. We're a part of this community. I'm a part of this congregation. Despite our iniquities, notice what he says in verse 8 and relate to it. And now for a little space... Grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in, this, in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. 
for we were bondmen. Yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolations thereof and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. Imagine the fact of this, that despite our sins, God's grace and his mercy forgive us our sins when he gave us Jesus Christ to die on the cross for all of us. And grace and mercy hath been delivered. And even in the culture in which we live, Larry, despite where all the sin and it's promoted and it's lifted up, despite all of that, even the leaders of our nation have given us some space so that we can have some reviving. And a revival, again, is not lots of people coming to accept Christ as their Savior. That should be the norm for the Christian life. The revival is God's people reviving, God's people getting right. Because he says in verse 10, Despite God's grace and mercy, he says, And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments. All that God is doing, all of his grace and his mercy that he has given on us, and yet, you know what we do? We go right back to the life of bondage that we came out of. Now, God, what, what shall I say? What am I going to say? We've forsaken your word. And he, he quotes the word from Deuteronomy 7 in verses 11 and 12, which thou hast commanded by thy servants, the prophets. The land into which you go to possess it is unclean, is, is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations, which we have filled and Filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness. Now, therefore, give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. That is what the Word of God says. Now, you apply something in your life. And you know what the Word of God says, but you willingly disobey it. You disregard it. It's not that important to you. And you may discompromise, which leads to another compromise, which leads to another compromise. And our children don't know what we knew because we've led them in this direction. And their fathers, the decision their fathers made is what led them into captivity to begin with. And now they're experiencing some grace and mercy to get out of that. And we go right back into making the same mistake. We go right back to the pig sty that we came out of. We're drawn to it for whatever. We're drawn to it because that's our nature, I know. We're drawn to it. So he says in verse 13 and 14, 15. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and our great trespass, 
seeing that thou, our God, hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve and has given us such deliverance as this, should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Wouldest not thou be angry with us till thou hast consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor escaping? That's the way God should be. He should just take care of us. But he doesn't. He's merciful. His compassion and his mercy is abundant. He's gracious. He gives us so much more than we deserve. And he doesn't always give us what we do deserve. He says, that's what you should do, Lord, but you've, you've chosen not to. He says in verse 15, O Lord, our God of Israel, thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped. As it is this day, behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand, the, uh, stand before thee because of this. Even in spite of that, you know what we get to do, Sam? We still get to come to church. We still get to live this wonderful life that we've been given. And God doesn't just drop us dead and kill us all over. He's gracious in his mercy, and sometimes maybe he does that. But for everybody in this room, he hasn't done that yet. He said, we have a desire to go back. Because of this, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed because there's a part of me that wants to go back. There's a part of me that just says, Lord, I just want to quit. It's easier to live like everybody else because then you don't have a preacher putting his finger in my face. And then you don't have the word of God telling me that I'm wrong. I just assume not read it. But we miss out on so much. We miss out on so much spiritually. And we miss out on the life that God wants to give us. He's allowed us to come out of captivity. What looks so good about it? I'm ashamed, Lord. I'm ashamed. We get to chapter 10. And look at verse 1. He hasn't even got up, Aubrey. He hasn't even got up yet. There's some people around him praying with him. God, be merciful to us. Give us reviving. Draw our hearts back to you. Let not the things of this world be more important. Help us to increase and allow you to, help us to decrease and allow you to increase. He's not even through. And here comes the people. When Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept sore. 
not even through praying and people's knocking at the door. Preacher, we've done wrong. We've gotten away from the Word of God. We've allowed some things to creep in our life that we know should never be there. And worse yet, it's gotten to the place, it's gotten to the place where it doesn't bother us anymore. The Bible just sits on the just sits on the table. My prayer life is non existent. We won't even talk about my testimony and my witness. We've made choices that we know God cannot bless. And we're here, preacher, because we want to get it right. Shechaniah is the spokesperson for all of them. He says, we've trespassed against our God. But there's hope in Israel concerning this thing. Why is there hope? Because if you recognize it's wrong, and Shane, you want to get it right, there's hope to get it right. They said, let us make a covenant with our God to get this thing right. And their case to put, all the, put away all the wives. Verse 4, they tell Ezra, arise. He's still on his knees. For this matter belongeth unto thee. Be of good courage and do it. Ezra arose in verse 5. He made the chief priests, the Levites, and all Israel swear that they should do according to this word. If you're serious about it, then let's do it. I'll say that again. If you're serious about it, then let's do it. Not looking for a Sunday morning emotional confession. If you're serious about it, let's go do it. Ezra rose up in verse 6 from the house of God. He went into the chamber of Johanan. While he was there, he didn't eat. He didn't drink. He's still mourning because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. They made proclamation in verse 7 throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the children of captivity that they should gather themselves together into Jerusalem. They're telling everybody, listen, Sunday morning at 10 a.m., see you at church. And if you don't, maybe we should take up what he does in verse 8. Whosoever would not come within three days, according to the counsel of the princes of the elders, all his substance shall be forfeited. That'll get everybody here. <laughs> verse 9, Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered themselves together to Jerusalem within three days. They came. The ninth day on the twelfth, twentieth day of the month, ninth month on the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the street of the house of God, trembling, notice, because of this matter, and also for the great rain. 
When's the last time your sin caused you to tremble? When's the last time you've trembled? Bobby, it's good to see you. We've all sinned, right? When's the last time it caused you to tremble? They're trembling. The rain didn't stop them. Oh, I'll get it right. I'll get it right when I work everything out. The rain didn't stop them. Their fear didn't stop them. And Ezra stood up and he delivered his 43-word sermon. And all God's people said, All God's people said, Amen. What you have said, so must we do. I sat in that room and I said, God, from my point of view, as a preacher, young preacher, where are the men who have such power and desire to see their congregations turn back to God in such a way that they can stand up and preach a 43-word message, Dylan. Doesn't have to be long. Amen, Pastor. Yeah, I know. Doesn't have to be long to be effective. 43 words. It began the moment he got on his knees and other people joined him. That's where the power came from. And before he even stood up to preach, people were coming in. Preacher, we need to get things right. I got to get some things right. I need a revival, preacher. I'm praying for God to stir my heart. I'm praying for God to affect me in ways that I have not been affected in my 47 years of life. I want this year to be different. I'm asking you to join me. Not all of you have to to have a revival. There's just got to be some people that the Word of God means that much to them. And say, we're in a mess. And it's not everyone else's fault. I'm a part of it. And everybody else may not get right. But I can get right. I want God to have His perfect work in my life. I want to grow more spiritually this year than I've ever grown. I want to impact more lives for, for the cause of Christ than I've ever impacted. I want to be used of the Lord.
Would you come with me and pray with me today? Even if you want to pray, God set my preacher on such fire that he preaches 43-word sermons, even if that's the case. I might preach shorter if you'll come ready to get right when I start. Let's bow our heads.